thank you so much for joining us online today. We're so glad you're here. Yes, uh, we're excited because our online community is an amazing place to experience and encounter God. So make sure that you get connected with someone in a safe and comfortable way for you, a uh, way that's safe for you in person because these in-person connections are important right now. Absolutely. We want you to be a part of a church community, yeah. a face-to-face -face biblical community, but yes. also online. And that's why there's a chat. If you're a part of the uh, interactive services at 8.30 or 11, please jump in, say something, be a part of that. And there's even a button that says, if you're new here to yeah. get connected, we'd love for you to do that. Or even visit our website, mrccnow.org. Yes. And you can get connected in multiple ways. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, you can get your kids connected in our MRCC Kids Church Online by going to the Mount Rainier Christian Center website. And uh, you can find us there, MRCC Kids Church Online. Also, if you're a dude, whoo, man sound, uh, you can come to Band of Brothers tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. We're going to have dinner. It's going to be a blast. Awesome. You know, the ladies like to connect too, and we have uh, we have a women's ministry as well. Sisters of Strength is going to meet the next Monday on yeah. October 5th. We'll gather together, have dinner together, uh, have fellowship, encouragement with one another to come together right here in the building. So it's great to have some stuff happening. Heck yeah. And there's lots of other things going on here too. So call the church office, get in touch yeah. with our website, uh, however you can. We want you to be connected yeah. in Facebook. the best way. Yeah, yeah, there's Facebook. We're on YouTube. There's so many ways to be connected. We just want to encourage you in that way to connect with us. And, yeah. Yeah. Shall we worship together? Let's worship. Let's worship our Savior. Amen. Good morning, church, and welcome to online service. We're so glad you're here. My name's Grace, and I'm so excited to be leading you in worship this morning. Um, let's just invite the presence of God in the, into this space this morning. There is a light that burns in the darkness. There is a hope that washes the fear away There is a peace that settles around us yes. It is your love that sets our hearts ablaze Father, we're on our knees With every heartbeat Bring you this offering, Lord, come and fill this place. Father, we're crying out, Spirit, we need you now. Glorious love surrounds us, Lord, come and fill this place. There is a King that reigns strong enough to say we feel it rising up from the
coming to fill this place. God, we feel your goodness in this place this morning, God. And let us sing of that this morning. Sing of your goodness and your love.
God, you are also the most loving God ever. God, you sent your son down to save us out of your love. Let's just sing of your great love this morning, church.
much. God, and as we continue to worship you this morning, I'm going to read a verse to you. It's Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, Some will boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Church, all of these earthly things described in this verse, such as the horses and the chariots that we cherish, will all fade away. But we have a God who always is and always will be. Instead of leaning on good things on this earth, we look to the maker of all good things. Instead of defining ourselves by the love that others give us or the love that we give ourselves, we are defined by God's love that we just sang of. What an absolutely amazing God that we have. And how much more then should we declare what we believe in God in confidence because of who he is, not because of who we are. So let's declare that this morning, church.
you say you are. All your goodness, all your love. You are our Father, our friend, our Savior, our source of protection, our guidance in time of need, our provider. You are all of it. So God, I pray that as we go throughout this week, God, that we will remember that you're it. You are all that we have. You are all that you say you are, all that you have been, and all that you will be. God, I just pray that we take that into this week. And God, that we remember that we're not it. All of our situations, all of our earthly things are not it. You're it. You're it. God, I pray that we take that with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Oh, yeah. I believe in the name of Jesus. Thank you, worship team. Church, there is no force in your life greater or more powerful in your life than what you believe to be true about God. And that song is all about surrendering what we believe to be true about God to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, worship team. It's great to be with you again, friends, all of our online congregation in this weird season that God is leading us through. It's great to be with you. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever works for when and where you are. This morning, church, in God's word, we're going to begin a new journey that's going to carry us through most of the fall. And, and that is going to be in the letter written to the church at Philippi, Philippians in your Bible. And we're going to spend the next couple of months going all the way through Philippians, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. And, and it's important that we do this regularly. Here at MRCC, we do that. Uh, and the regularness of it is important because we must learn how to receive God's word on its own terms and not treat it as kind of a, a deck of cards where we pull one out and just hope for the right answer, but instead to learn God's word in its entirety, in its own context, because that's how the Father gives it to us. And, he knows best. So this morning we're going to begin in this letter to the church at Philippi, the epistle to the Philippians. So grab your Bible, open it to chapter 1 of Philippians, and let's begin to learn together today. Do you remember when you first learned how to drive? Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember how you felt? It was exciting. It was scary. Do you remember the first time that you were driving and you pulled out on a busy freeway and the cars were whizzing by so fast? Do you remember how you felt in those moments? Do you remember how you felt the first time you, you turned into a busy intersection and cars were going every direction and you were just learning to navigate that experience? Do you remember how you felt? My, how times have changed since then. Now, if you're like most of us, you, you drive with one finger on the wheel, eating lunch, talking on your phone, and parenting your kids all at the same time. Your approach to those very same situations, the freeway, the intersection, is very different than it was when you were first beginning to learn. And the difference is that since then, you and me have become confident in our driving. And sometimes confidence makes all the difference. Now, confidence can be a bad thing. 
You heard the story about the teenager who was driving so slow on the freeway that a police officer had no choice but to pull her over. And feeling kind of sorry for her because he could see that she was young, he said, young lady, do you realize how slow you were driving? And she said, but sir, I was just doing the speed limit, just like it says on the sign. And she, he looked at the sign she was pointing to and said, no, sweetheart, um, that's the identification of the highway. This is Highway 26. That's not the speed limit. You were driving 26 miles an hour on the freeway. That's the highway ID sign. At this point, though, the officer noticed that the teenage boy in the car next to her was white as a sheet. And so he said, son, are you okay? He's fine, the young lady said, looking sheepish. I guess we just turned off Highway 120. <laughs> you probably heard that before. But sometimes confidence can be a bad thing, yet when it comes to God, our confidence in Him, what the Bible calls our faith in Him, is crucial. It makes all the difference day to day and week to week. And that's especially true because, church, God's calling to us as His sons and daughters is a very high calling. He has high expectations for us, high dreams for us, a high destiny that He seeks to give us. And because that calling, those expectations, that desire, that love for us is so high, we must learn to trust His ability to lead us into it. To put it another way, God is not fathering us into a sort of below average, bare minimum facelessness. He is aiming to make you and me, each one of us, into saints into inspiring heroes, into people who reflect the glory of our older brother, Jesus. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, a passage in God's Word that is familiar to many in the first part, but less familiar in the second part. Here's what the Bible says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. We love to quote that passage, yet it's not the end of the thought. The very next verse finishes the thought, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, to the likeness of His Son. In other words, God's calling for you and me is that we would increasingly become more and more and more like Jesus. That is a high calling. But God gives it because He knows that our souls are made to aim high and that our joy depends on it. You know, last week we had the uh, men's fall kickoff golf event. A lot of us went out and golfed. Some of us hadn't golfed in years, myself being one of them. And our little foursome, you know, we dragged our clubs out of the garage and started hacking our way around that course. And, and the 18 holes towards the end proved to be a lot more difficult than most municipal golf courses. As a matter of fact, the 18th hole, when we came to it, had a massive lake between us and the green. <laughs> And all of us arrived at the hole and looked at each other and said, I don't think any of us can hit the ball across that. But we also looked at each other and said, we got to try. 
And so one by one, we stepped up to the tee and we gave it absolutely our best shot to clear that water trap. I think maybe that water trap was installed by a golf, sale, a golf ball salesman because not one of us got a ball over that lake. We eventually took a drop and moved on from there. We all missed. But that's because we had nothing to work with but our own strength. Here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is going to remind us of our high calling. And then he's going to remind us that we don't just rely on our own ability to get there. That God has promised to lead us into that high calling, to grow us into that high calling. So grab your Bible, open it to Philippians chapter 1. The letter to the church at Philippi is the most joyful letter the Apostle Paul wrote, and he wrote it from prison. Think about that. How was he able to do that? We had what, what I call true grit. That's what we're calling this journey through Philippians together as a church. We're calling it true grit. Paul had a gritty and realistic faith in God. And that is what enables him from prison to write his most joyful letter in the New Testament. So Philippians chapter 1, let's begin our journey together and let's listen to what God's Word says to us. Chapter 1, beginning with verses 1 and 2. The scripture says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pause for just a moment and take note of something. Notice what Paul calls the believers at Philippi. He calls them saints. He calls them what they will be, even though they aren't yet. That's what good parents do. That's what God, who is a father, does. He refers to us in terms of our destiny, to which he is committed to helping us realize. A saint, friends, understand, is someone who is committed to being God's partner in the world. That's the definition of a saint. Someone who is committed to working alongside God, to participating in what God is doing in our world. That's why Jesus, on his last night on earth before he went to the cross, said to the disciples, John chapter 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends because you are partners with me in what God is doing in the world. A saint is someone who has chosen to become a partner with God in what he's doing in the world. Let me ask you right here at the outset, have you owned that identity? God is inviting you to. Here in Philippians, right from the outset, the Holy Spirit is supervising Paul as he writes, and he inspires him to, to remind us that we are called to be saints. Maybe, maybe that seems intimidating to you. I understand. But let me tell you how important it is to own that identity. I remember uh, on my first day of boot camp in the Marine Corps, the drill instructor took this wild collection of young men who had volunteered to receive an identity. And, and on that first morning, he began to refer to us, in a rather loud voice I might add, as Marines. And hearing ourselves referred to in that way was thrilling. Now, I got to tell you, on day one, we didn't know how to be Marines yet, but we were committed to learning. 
And we were willing to receive that identity. We owned it. And lo and behold, over the next three months, it came true. In the same way, God calls us saints. And Paul calls the Philippian saints because they have owned that identity. You can see that in verses 3 through 6 that follow. The very next thing he says to them, he says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's what a saint does. Partners with God. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, that he who has called you to be a saint also knows how to teach you to become one. And that he is committed to doing that with all his power, all his wisdom, all his strength and insight. Let me ask you again, have you owned that identity? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are invited to think of yourself as called to be, to become saints. And there's an important distinction about that call. Our world says you have to earn your way to your calling. But God believes in what we call on-the-job training. He calls us, then teaches us as we go. Again, like boot camp. We volunteer, we're willing to own that identity, and we step into it without understanding it in its fullness. And then we begin to experience the reality of being transformed. Paul says the, the Philippians did that from the first day. They saw themselves as partners in the gospel. Have you? You see, God understands that OJT is the most powerful way to learn to do this. You know, when you think about driving, you know that you can't just sit in a classroom and learn to drive. I mean, you can do some preliminary work. But pretty soon you have to get behind the wheel with the teacher, and that's when you really begin to learn. In the same way, God says, own your identity as his partner, as a saint. And as you do that and you step into that role, then, then you begin to learn how to carry it out. I remember when our, our teenage son was just 15 and, and he was hesitant about the whole driving thing. He wanted to do it, but he wasn't totally sure that he could. And his mom and dad said to him, son, you can do this, you can do this. And when we said that, he had to make a choice. A choice between what he believed about himself and what we were telling him about himself. Thankfully, he chose to believe what we were saying, and even though it was a challenge at times, he learned to drive. In the same way, God says, Greg, I, I don't want you to, to, to trust in what you think you know about yourself. Instead, trust what I'm telling you, and trust the calling I'm giving you. I want to make you my partner in what I'm doing in the world. You are a saint. And as I own that identity, he begins to grow me into it. Paul knows that God has the strength, wisdom, power, patience, insight to grow us into that identity. So he says in verse 6, very important, underline this in your Bible. He says that he is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, you may not think you have what it takes to be God's partner in the world, but he knows that he can teach you. And so he invites you to step in to that identity. Former President Teddy Roosevelt said that the greatest tragedy isn't trying and failing. It's never trying in the first place. And it's true. 
And let me tell you something about yourself. Your soul is made for more, much more than just being rich or famous or popular or attractive. Your soul won't be satisfied with those things. Your soul is made for something much greater, for doing what's significant, for what's important, for what echoes in eternity. Your soul is made to be partners with God in the world. That's what will satisfy you in the deepest parts of who you were. Paul was so sure of this that he called the believers at Philippi saints, knowing God's power to make them exactly that. And he was so sure of it that being in prison didn't break his stride at all. He just started witnessing to the guards and showing his brothers that prison is nothing to be afraid of, that in fact God can use it. And that God does use adversities of all kinds to bring about the reality of this calling. He says a little further ahead in verses 12 to 14, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Some are so shallow in their understanding of their Christian faith that they think being in chains prevents living for Christ. Paul knows better. Because of my chains, he says, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul's sense of his own partnership with God in the gospel of being a saint increased in the midst of his adversities. He knew that God was bigger than prison. He knew that God was bigger than any of his circumstances, which is why he will say later in this book, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Because I know him who gives me strength. I know what he's doing, what he's committed to. When you know that God is bigger than your stuff, you lose your fear. And that's a great feeling. It's true grit. It's what Paul is feeling in prison as he writes this incredible letter. True grit, friends, doesn't come from looking in the mirror. It comes from listening to the way your father God talks about you. You know, when our son Isaiah was a toddler, he took a tremendous whack in the eye from a wiffle ball bat. He must have been, I don't know, five years old. He's playing with the neighborhood kids and he got smacked hard. It scared him. His mom and I saw it happen from across the street and, and we both instantly knew what to do. We jumped up and ran towards him and we started celebrating. Woo-hoo! We said, dude, you are gonna have the most awesome black eye ever. Very quickly, he was bragging about it. And over the next couple of hours, as he developed a real first-class shiner, he just wanted to show it off to everyone. He had lost his fear because of what his parents said about what was happening to him. That's faith. Paul felt that way about the believers in Philippi because they believed in God's calling enough to own that identity and thereby become partners with him. Once again, let me ask you, have you owned that identity? Have you said, yes, God, I want to be your partner in the world? If you do, you will find a fellowship that you never thought possible. Let me me talk about that for just a moment. A couple of years ago, I read a powerful book, one that I'll never forget. It was written by a man named Sebastian Junger, and the book is called Tribe. Little book. The gist of it is simple. Mr. Junger interviewed dozens of soldiers who had returned from the awful reality 
of war in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria. And they told him something he didn't expect to hear. And that was that most of them tearfully wished they could go back. Not because they loved violence, not because they were adrenaline junkies, or, or even because they believed in the cause. It's because when they were there and their life was so hard, they felt that they were part of a team committed to doing something important. And that was so precious to them that despite the awful reality of being there, they yearned for it and longed for it. See, friends, this is what we are made for, to be given as a team in fellowship to doing what matters, to working with God in the world, to being his partners. You know, the creation account back in Genesis, the first couple of chapters, tells us how the, the beta version of heaven was designed. And in it, Adam and Eve tended God's garden for him and with him. They managed his livestock and watched over his creation. They were partners with him, intending what was his and what belonged to him. We learn several things from this. First of all, that, that work isn't a curse, it's a blessing, and that in our work, we can experience partnership with God. But we also recognize that the real heaven, heaven 1.0, which is in pre-release right now, according to Jesus, is made the same way. We experience it as we embrace our calling to be his partners in the gospel, in sharing the good news of who he is. And when we do, we discover real fellowship. You will never know deeper community and fellowship than when you are partnered with God and other believers in sharing the gospel. Nothing will bind us together like that. Nothing will create such intense, long-lasting, and authentic friendships. Nothing will bind us to our Father more deeply than knowing that we are His partners in his mission in the world. That's why Paul says in verses 7 and 8, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify, Paul says, how I long for you, all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, his sense of intimacy and of deep friendship and joy and fellowship with the Philippians is what elevates him above his situation, is what makes him so full of joy, even though he's literally in chains in prison. Because of that, he's not worried about prison or poverty or pandemics or false teachers or politicians. He's not worried about those things. Instead, he is full of a sense of joy and purpose and of inevitable victory. God wants you and me to feel the same way, but it depends on you owning that identity and then believing in his power to grow you into it more than you believe in your doubts about yourself. I love the story of, of Gideon in the Old Testament. You can read about him in Judges chapter 6. And Gideon lived in a tough time when the bad guys were winning and, and Israel was an oppressed nation. 
And he was a little guy from a small and weak family who's so full of fear that when we meet him, he's hiding in a wine press from God's enemies and under their oppression. God shows up. The scripture tells us, you can read the story, Judges chapter 6, and he, the, the first thing he does, the first thing God does, is he gives him a new name. He calls him a mighty warrior. Judges chapter 6, verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's where God begins his work with Gideon, by renaming him. That's how he seeks to go forward with you, by teaching you who he can turn you into, who he can grow you into, more than what you believe you're capable of. Now, if, if you were watching that moment when God came to Gideon in that wine press, you might think it was a joke, but it wasn't. God would go on to grow Gideon into a leader who delivers Israel from all her enemies. And it doesn't happen by magic. It happens by audacious and bold faith. It happens because Gideon owns that identity and begins to walk in it. In the same way, God calls you and me to be partners with Him in the world and asks us to own that identity so that we can become more than we ever thought we would. You know, we're, we're starting a new thing this fall in, in our grow groups, in our small groups, and, and in our church services. And the new thing is simply this. When we close, I want to invite you to take just a moment in your small group to, to set an empty chair among you. And then to simply pray, God, who would you like to put in that empty chair? Who would you like to pull into this fellowship of believers? Who is it that you would seek to partner with us to reach? You can do this in your own home by yourself. Gather your husband, your wife, your kids, and simply pray and say, God, who's the person that you're calling us to partner with in your desire to teach them your love and your grace, to share your gospel with them. And, and you simply pray for whoever that person might be. That's a way of owning this identity. And as you own it, you discover, as I said, a fellowship that goes deeper than you could imagine. And you discover a satisfaction that is soul deep because it comes from the fathering of a living God. You know, when we do that, when we accept our identity as partners with God, we position ourselves to be taught by Him and to receive the transforming power that He is offering us. Nothing is more precious. Paul goes on to write verses 9 to 11. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. In other words, he says, I pray that as you own this identity, you would see yourself as a learner, as someone who is learning how to live out this calling. While love is the most important thing in our lives, it's not the only thing. Reminds me of when I was in fifth grade and I kind of developed my first real crush on another fifth grader whose name was Mary Beth, I figured out where her house was. <laughs> and then in my, you know, fifth grade wisdom, my desire to find some way to connect with her, I, I went to her house after school and I, I just started walking back and forth on the sidewalk in front of her house. <laughs> I must have done this for 15 or 20 minutes. I didn't go up to the doorbell. I didn't introduce myself. I just walked back and forth on the sidewalk. After <laughs> a little while, her dad came out and said, hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> 
you know, are you some kind of weirdo? It's a great question. I had love, I just didn't have any wisdom and discernment about it. I didn't have any knowledge about it. In the same way, God's desire for you and me as his called saints is that we would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That means learning. It means being committed to learning how to be his partner in the world. You know, it's a cliche that, that young adults only learn to appreciate their parents after the fact, after they're away from the home and they've lived in the world a little bit and they've faced some of the challenges that go with it. But when that appreciation finally comes, it makes them whole as they understand and feel how real and deep your love for them was all along. In the same way, mature believers learn that loving God in worship and prayer and serving and giving and obedience, that that love for Him is in fact the real blessing they were looking for when they came to Him in the first place. Not so much getting their way or what they thought they wanted, but getting His way. Oscar Wilde said famously that there's two tragedies in life. The first is not getting what you want, and the second is getting it. But getting what God wants is the greatest blessing of all. You know, Jesus didn't regret going to the cross even though he shrank from it. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 26 that he was in the garden on the night he was destined to go to the cross and he prayed and he said, may this cup pass from me. Is there any way I can not do this? But that's not all he prayed. He then went on to pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, he, catch me now, he asked God for what God wanted for him. And in that, he found a joy that most people never will, but that God invites you and me to experience. So the scripture tells us in chapter 12 of Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him. He got what God was offering, and that was real joy. The same is true in your life. You will not know any deeper satisfaction than owning your identity as his partner in the world, and then learning from him and through him how to live that out. Let me ask you this morning as we get ready to close, do you have the guts, the grit, to ask God to give you what He wants even more than what you want? Our good Father tells us that's the road to the satisfaction we were seeking. Learning how to be partners with God in the world is the destiny you crave. And it begins with owning your calling and identity, and it continues with believing in his ability to bring it to pass. Confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, will be faithful to complete it. Emily Clark's post on Facebook in 2018 went viral when she told the simple story of driving alone at night through the Australian outback when suddenly a severe torrential flash rainstorm dumped so much wind and water that the desert and the highway itself were flooded. The water was so, suddenly so deep that it 
covered the road and there was no help in sight. And she wasn't sure that she could stay on the road because she couldn't see it and in the dark, she began to get really scared. That's when a semi truck came out of nowhere. The truck pulled alongside her and flashed its lights as if to say, follow me. And then the truck pulled in front of her and drove slowly, breaking the water, shielding her, shielding her from the wind and showing her the way. She followed for a long time, the driver occasionally flashing his lights to lead her on a detour around a gully or a dangerous curve. And eventually, he led her to a safe spot with a hotel and a restaurant and she met him. His name was Footy. And she understood where, why he did it when he said, I would hope that if it was my family, one of the other drivers would do the same thing. Church, in a very real way, that's what you and me as believers are called to do and called to be. That's who we can be in Christ. Mom, Dad, that's part of the role you're called to in the lives of your kids. Fellas, ladies, that's part of your calling when you go to work every day. That destiny of being God's partner is what we are called to and it's where we will find what we're looking for. So let me invite you right now to maybe locate an empty chair in your living room or next to you in the car or wherever and let's pray together that we might own that identity to be his saints, partners with God in the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you for your high calling. And we thank you for your promise that says that you have the power to bring that to pass in our lives, that you will carry on to completion this calling that you've given us as we are simply willing to own it, to receive it. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to the people like Emily who are wandering through our world, scared, afraid, in the dark about who you are. God, make us like this truck driver, seeing ourselves as partners for the sake of others in your gospel, in your love, in your grace. God, open our hearts, our eyes to the people you want us to serve in that way so that we might know the joy that you knew in going to the cross. We pray for that. We ask your blessing as we receive your word today and as we go, we pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. Can't wait to see you in person as time and circumstances allow. We'll be here on Sunday morning, 8, 9, 30, and 11. You're welcome to join us. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them.